Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Chris Towski, Lieutenant at Cambridge Fire and Consultant at MCM Consulting. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. It's that time of year again. We're trying to either permit or install Tempete on our job sites. So Chris and I thought it would be a good time to discuss the topic, hopefully get your wheels turning, take another look at what you have on your sites, and hopefully get us warmer in a safe manner. Enjoy the show. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mr. Kelly. It's a pleasure to be back. I think this is my 10th time. Do I get a prize now? <laughs> uh, I think you've earned a prize. <laughs> a watch. You're going to get a watch. Okay. Today, I want to start with a disclaimer. And I actually jotted it down because I think it's important. We're talking about something here that is is dangerous, right? And people have to make sure they follow all the right precautions. And I don't say that as to scare people. If it's done properly, I think you'd probably agree with me that it's not dangerous if it's done properly, but improbably there's a lot of hazards there. So, so this is by no means a comprehensive discussion of all the requirements pertaining to temporary heat. This will not be 100% accurate. Everyone should be following manufacturer's recommendations and instructions. Consider this a casual conversation about temporary heat and just an opportunity to get you thinking about the hazards that are out there now that winter season is here. That's the disclaimer. Now, here's the fun part when we were kind of sending bullets back and forth and nobody will know this, but you know, we talked about this yesterday and now we're recording today. So this is a very impromptu, we just, you know, we're thinking, hey, it's temp heat season, we should talk about it. And I didn't want to wait. So I said, let's just do it. You gave a good bullet. You were like, plan early. Yes. Uh, for temp heat. Uh, and obviously, I did a poor job. I should have planned in September or August to say, let's talk about temp heat. But when you say plan early, what do you, you know, what do you mean? Well, thanks for, thanks, Joe. Because Let's look at today's conditions with the snowstorm that we get just got. Right now, how many people have gone through their minds or have actually ran out to the store to go get their milk and bread because something was coming? So obviously because they didn't plan ahead of time. And that's just the point here is that today isn't the day to start thinking about how you're going to heat your construction project. Thinking about it early, as we say, would be thinking about it in the summer <laughs> when the conditions are right. And not only that would it be the benefit of probably getting the equipment, but it's also, you know, if you got to start having your discussions with your locals, you know, whatever you got to go put in place for permits and stuff. But you certainly don't want to wait to the 11th hour when you absolutely need it to be scrambling to to find something. So yeah. Plan it, early. And you, you, I like the analogy with the snow. I mean, you're talking about food, but um, think about how many times after a, a few bad snowstorms and ice storms and then you're in. Home Depot or even like CVS trying to find a bag of salt or something like that. And every pallet's empty, you know, and there's one half bag with a bunch of duct tape on it. And, you know, all right, well, I guess that's all I got, you know, but right. I don't think that's the right approach when we're talking about putting fuel uh, in a temporary manner inside of a building, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's talk just roughly, what are the applicable codes? Uh, I'll list the ones that come to mind from me if i'm missing any let me know but osha you need to comply with the construction standard of osha there's some regulations there 521 cmr and this one gets a little confusing right it's the fire code 527 which, yeah what did i say 521 oh yeah that's the accessibility 527 yeah. cmr 
which is the fire code, which is NFPA1, right. is the base code. And don't forget mass amendments. When it comes to temporary heat and seal monitoring, all that kind of stuff, that is in the Massachusetts amendments. Yes. And then, of course, we have NFPA 241 that speaks to it. And then you mentioned uh, MGL Master in the Law 148, Section 25. Right. But there's a placeholder that's been put there that talks about salamanders within buildings. Yeah. And I think one 148 is probably something that a lot of people in construction still don't know, but really should look it up. If you Google Master in the Law 148, and then in particular, uh, Section 26, that has a lot of information around fire protection and I think even fire alarm, correct? Yeah, yeah, this, yep. yeah, as it goes down, it starts out with the sprinkler. You got the sprinkler provisions up in the front end, and then it works its way into some fire alarm, some smoke detectors. Yeah, and then I think it has stuff about blasting in there, but there's a lot of construction related law in 148 that people should look at because it often. Uh, the law will supersede the code. So therefore that law uh, drives a lot of what we do in construction, which I think people don't, don't realize. One good one to know that's related to construction is what we have currently through the building code using the IBC. There's that 12,000 square foot provision for sprinklers, but Massachusetts trumps that under 26 G and puts in the provisions that 7,500 square feet was the trigger. Yep. So, yeah. That's that, a big one. that one, that one is always in play. So just to recap, you have your OSHA, the construction standard, you have 527 CMR, make sure you get the mass amendments, 241, and then don't forget MGL 148.25 around the salamanders. So when we're talking about temp heat, we're talking about a lot of different fuel types. So we're talking potentially kerosene, diesel, propane, um, natural gas. Electric. Electric. electric kind of you know it's not what we predominantly picture of being a fuel source but it technically is uh you know it's a source that it, it being utilized yeah what's your kind of thoughts let's just start with the fuel-based ones what's your thoughts around the safest options or the preferable options when it comes to temp heat right thank you i mean of course now you know wearing the fire hat you know yep, that's please. you know we're I don't want to say we fear the most, but that's where our biggest concerns are. Anytime you have a volatile um, type of product, you know, and then the pecking order would be just speaking of the things you, you mentioned, you know, like propane is probably the most volatile because it converts from a liquid to a gas. at such a very cold state. You know, it's still minus, you know, what we consider to be freezing. It's way below that. And actually, you know, tr um, it's almost subliminal, it's almost converting. Well, it's not going from a solid to a gas, but it's converting very quickly at a very cold temperature from a liquid to a gas. So with that makes it a good choice for burning, but it makes it very volatile on top of it. Mm. And then as you work down through the pecking order, you know, you got your propane, then it would probably be a natural gas would be um, propane being the, my words, the least safe natural gas being safer and then you know you get into your your diesels because as you know like you know your diesel fuels you have to actually heat to get them to do to change you know like your home <laughs> heating oil you have to atomize it you know you not only have to heat with the 
the, the burner, the igniter, but you know, you have to vaporize it. Making a mist, yeah. So that makes it safer. So when it's in its normal ambient temperatures, it's more stable outside of where something else could be a lot more volatile. Okay. And then, of course, electric doesn't have any of that. It just inherently comes as a heating, you know, like a heating element aspect to it. Mm. But then you run into the, you know, you're using an electrical appliance often in an unfinished area. So, you know, make sure it's not sitting in water and you have probably the uh, basic electric hazard you'd have with any electrical equipment. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, um, one thing I want to fo not focus on, but just bring out, we just have to remember that the, the fire triangle, there's only those three elements to make that work. You get your heat, your fuel, and your air with your oxygen, you know, in air that keeps that mixture. We mm. can't deal with the oxygen piece, <laughs> yep. but we can certainly manage the the heat source and the flammable components, whether it's going to be the wood, if it's wood construction, or if it's going to be a combustible liquid, you know, or mm -hmm. a flammable vapor from the, from the gas. So if we got to, if we can keep those in check, you know, just one of them has to stay in check. We'll make sure that we don't have any issues. Nice. All right. Um, you have any other thoughts around that before we maybe move on to what what are some like um, things we should and should be doing? As far as the no, I mean, I mean, the beauty is is that there everything's regulated. So as long as folks are like you had mentioned before in the in the onset, you know, in accordance with manufacturers' instructions. You know, making sure they're finding the info, you know, on the, through the codes. They're regulated, so those are the guy. Yeah, those are the things that you know should be getting folks to use them safely. Okay, but you haven't seen any particular applications that you really weren't fond of, or really liked, or anything like that. Or well, we, we, we us in Cambridge we, because of a mishap where it was a fatality for another, you know, not related to construction of this one, but it was a fatality that involved propane. So Cambridge, we have this not so loving, uh, appealing, um, welcoming, if you will, uh, approach when it comes to propane. So what we do, how we handle that is discussing with the clients, with the contractors, on options and when someone you know a lot of times in the construction industry propane is choice because it's convenient you know it's readily available you can pretty much get it anywhere um it, there's low maintenance to it um but we tease it out a little bit on our end on the hardship piece to it you know let's go through the pecking order let's see what you, other options are out there that you can do you know as choices that would be a little bit safer and then, like, so, for example, if you can't get natural gas to the site or natural gas was never going to come to the site, if you can't get that, then, okay, that's not an option. What can we do? Oh, can we bring something that's diesel-based, you know, on a trailer and can, you know, have it stored in a what we consider a reasonable, safe place? Oh, okay, that's better. You know, but no, if that's not an option, um, oh, then... You, you froze know. on me, Chris. No problem. You're saying uh, diesel, maybe you get diesel delivered put it in a reasonable location yeah it could be it'd be safer you know mm -hmm. it's something that's you know, a belly tank on a trailer and it could be somewhere so if for some reason there was a spill 
we don't have to worry about that into the building. You know, we just got to worry about the cleanup that might be in a localized area. Or if it catches fire, again, should be less risk to threatening the occupants, you know, the, the construction occupants of the building or whatever the case is or the building itself. So it should be that much safer. You know, so people would just have to, you know, keep that in mind as they're having their discussions with their locals on their options. And, you know, then, like I said, being specific with us in Cambridge, then they come to me and say, all right, no, listen, I tried everything. I, I've exhausted all options. And exhausting options, <laughs> just for the listeners out there, is not just because it's not always about money. You know what I mean? It's not, oh, geez, you know, the cost of this is the cost of that. Okay, that, that has a little bit of play if you can, you know, make it work in the fashion that uh, it would crush the job. You know what I mean? But yeah. just because, oh, geez, you know, it's going to cost me $2 more to, to get diesel. I don't want to go that route. That's not the way to, to go. Got it. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's go through some of the things that you and I kind of just brainstormed and threw out for topics. I'll kind of mention them. And if you've got any thoughts about it, kind of number one with me, and I was surprised how many people don't realize this, but you're not supposed to leave temporary heat unattended running right right people that right. run it overnight or run it over the weekend no bueno right no no and we, it's captured in regulation that in massachusetts has specific uh, talk on that when you get into chapter 16 of the fire code of, of addressing just that no and we capture now we, i'm positive we capture that in 241 as well you know um the, not only do you not leave it unattended but whoever's going to use it has to be trained you know in its operation of how to use it, you know? Yep. So we've definitely made a lot of progress, or at least trying to make a lot of progress in making it better out there for the folks that are on the the, the industry end that are actually needing these things. So that they're the safer project. And that goes for electrical as well, right? Absolutely. CO monitoring. <coughs> yes. That one is the one, one of them that's go, if you Googled CMR 527, Massachusetts amendments, yeah. go to chapter 16 and you'll see where it's outlined. It gives you all the details. They talk a lot about using a physical monitor yeah. to do it. That's, I think, less productive, more of a chance for human error. Um, what would you give for recommendations for people that are trying to figure out the monitoring piece? All right. So great question. Um, the mass amendments tell you to use an air monitor, a CO monitor at certain frequencies based off of, and I'm only going off a of memory here, but based off of either the type of heater. And then if you're in a confined space, you shouldn't do it. But if you have to do it, it needs to be at a different frequency. So there's a frequency of that hand monitored air monitoring of a space and it's also based off of our people working in there. This, this, these different, different things that seems uh, arduous and really difficult to keep up with. I have seen job sites that you know they just have a logbook, and it's usually one that has a full-time safety professional on the job, yeah. and they're going out at certain intervals and monitoring the air. I think an important thing to put in here is. 
you're dealing with a piece of equipment that is in temp uh, is a temporary piece of equipment. So it's probably more of a likelihood that you could have uh, a carbon monoxide leak versus a home appliance. By the nature of it being on a construction site, especially if it's a direct fired piece of equipment, um, you're moving the piece of equipment around, somebody brought it in on with a forklift, dropped it into place, drilled it and bolted it to the ground or something like that. Did you, you know, did you loosen a joint where there could, it, that you could be starting the pipe is not, the exhaust pipe is not have a tight fit. So maybe there's leakage coming out there to me, just by the nature of it being a temporary piece of equipment, I feel like there's more exposure than a factory built piece of equipment. Maybe. Yeah, I see, I see what you say. It's subject to abuse. <clears throat> subject yeah. to abuse. It's not, um, you know, it goes from one job site to another job site. You know, we're not taking our furnace in our basement and moving it around job to job because it's not a piece of rental equipment, you know, and please reach out if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm, ha I'm happy to be wrong. But, you know, I, I think there's a different, uh, there is a real hazard there. And I think we have to, we have to be careful with it. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt there's a legitimate potential. There, absolutely. There's no doubt. Anytime you're burning anything, even if it's wood, anytime you're burning anything, you know, the byproducts of combustion are going to have poisonous toxins that come along with it. So, I mean, it just goes for saying that folks that are in the industry to <laughs> treat the equipment um, with a lot of respect, you know, and make sure that it gets well maintained and it's, you know, it's always running at its efficient. And, it, it, you know, again, the instructions, you know, that the manufacturer provides, they usually give the whole checklist if you will on on how it should be operated and how it should be maintained um those things really need to be followed you know like you say not not just buying something off the shelf of home depot because it was cheap you brought it out there and you know you didn't care if it got banged up beat up or whatever and then you know it didn't go through all its you know safety checks and all that stuff yeah so i think to, to help people though um they probably should speak to the local fire department about where you're, if you're going with a battery unit monitor on a job site, uh, CO detection, you know, it needs to be on all floors. It needs to be, there's this game where you don't want to be too close to the source because then you get false alarms, but you don't want to be too far away either. I've heard 10 feet away. I've heard 15 feet away from the outlet or or place where you could have the um, the fumes coming from. Those are all things to think about, but either way, you just gotta make sure you have it on all levels and where everybody's working to make sure you have adequate coverage. And I would say, I hate to do it, but uh, you know, speak with your AHJ and talk to them about where you're, where you're setting up the monitors or how you're planning on monitoring. Right, well, let me suggest this though. Let's not just go to the AHJ's blind. <laughs> Let's go educated so now we know that hey the provisions in 241 or the fire we'll start with the mass fire code have some language and then there's a finger point to 241 let's open up our 241 oh it tells me to do it in accordance with fpa 72 let's start if you don't know it let's start asking the questions generally the electricians know 72 very well start talking to the people that know that area whether it's a co-consultant i don't know how the you know whatever job you're on big or small there's going to be somebody that you can reach out to that help you navigate through this area 
so you can get educated on what what is 72 720 the, the carbon dioxide provisions that have you know now dovetailed into 72 what are they looking for and in there you'll see that there is the thresholds the parts per million aspect to it and the air changes and locations and spacings and stuff like that and that will assist you know with with folks so before you just go, you know, because we've gotten that a lot. Oh, Mr. And Mrs. AHJ, what do you want? Well, I want you to be co-compliant and safe. You've got to come to me and say, hey, listen, this is what I got. This is what I think I'm doing. Am I right the direction? And then you probably have a much better conversation. Yeah, uh, that that goes for so much, right? Payment plans, same thing. To be able to come and just say, well, what do you want me to do? Like, no, say, listen. This is what we can do. We can uh, remove the ceiling and then we can go with upturned heads, which means we're going to have to drain it down for eight hours. Um, you know, we're going to leave the pull stations available, but we won't have any smoke detection, but we'll have fire protection. Here's what we want to do. Just give the plan and give the AHJ the opportunity to do a thumbs up, thumbs down. So, yes, maybe go to the AHJ, say, here's where we're thinking of putting them. Um, you know, we're going to do a test of the battery every so many days because we know it's not hardwired make sure they're functioning here's a log book we're going to have whatever the right way you want to go about it put all that stuff together bring it to the hj and come up with a i think a reasonable solution right and not to, i don't want to beat to get off the beaten path here but just remember the stuff that you're generally buying at our big box stores those are generally for residential use only and they're not always going to be a good solution for what you have in your projects. Certainly as your projects expand through your winter months, as you're dumping heat into it, you know, it might be okay as a one-off for a kind of a unique situation, you know, where the elements, you know, uh, you got one room, you got to, yeah. 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 Yep. You know, where it's okay. You know, it's only, it's going to be really short duration. It's very limited of people that are going to be there and, the impact that it has will be so small and we it's okay if the device gets sacrificed throughout the whole, you know, evolution, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, there's something like that. Something is better than nothing and maybe going with that application, but you know, just cause you get it and stick it on the wall, you got to make sure you read those manufacturers instructions. There's a little clicking that I'm hearing. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to log off and then come back on and see if it helps it. Okay. Is that any better? I'm not hearing it right this second, so maybe I'm it not. was on my end. Yeah, I'm not hearing it either. Okay, sorry about that. No problem. Technology. Yep. Okay, so another, now I would so seal monitoring probably being the biggest one, but then some of the smaller, I don't know if smaller is the right word, I won't always be so careful about this. Simple things like waiting for equipment to cool before you refill. Oh, oh sure, right. absolutely. I mean, who hasn't made that mistake? Like with your lawnmower or a snowblower, the thing would be hot. You're going to fill it. You get a little bit of spillover. Next thing you know, it 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 the there was enough heat and enough fuel, and the next thing catches fire. So absolutely. Um, again, the only suggestion I could really make that comes right, you know, top of mind is planning for that. You know, when 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 specking out that equipment, you should have a good understanding on its duration how long it can burn run, run time yeah yeah run time you know yep. and then you can prepare for that so at the end of the shift or whatever it is 
you give it that time, you know, for cool down um, or whatever, whatever it needs. If that's the case, if it's if it's a piece of equipment that, you know, is that, you know, requires to be cooled down, you know, for refueling, which most do. Yep. So, you know, to us, it seems like it's a no brainer. You know, certainly yep. us on the safety side, it's like, I mean, what do you really, you know, but mm-hmm. sadly, you know, folks need to keep going. And generally when they run out of fuel is right when they needed it most. <laughs> yep. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, the good news is though, most of these buildings were just trying to keep from not freezing. So if you've got your building up to 58, 60 degrees or whatever, because some heat has been cranking and you have to give it some time, you've got a good, what, 20, 30 degrees, it can drop before you have to kick that heater on again. So you do have a little time to cool it, but it's just something that people should know that you need to let the equipment cool before you uh, fill it back up. Right. And the beauty is at least some of the, the newer technology or the newer equipment that's out there, you know, especially with that indirect um, aspect to it, you know, how it, you know, yeah, how the how the operation works where it's not burning and pushing the 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 poisonous gases through the convected air, you know, through the heated air into the building definitely makes safer. I mean that was kind of it made me think that's kind of like that was pretty much the onset of the whole salamander thing. You know, when you read that 14825, that's whole intention and it was clear that it's only there for drying construction material. You know, we look at it in the construction industry. Well, how does the construction material get there if somebody didn't put it there? But its real intent was, all right, some that that stuff gets there. Now you can use this appliance because it produced the carbon monoxide piece to it because it vented into that same atmosphere. It didn't yeah. vent, you know, through a chimney or out, you know, through a property. It just yeah. made me think of that as you were. Yeah, that's what, one, that's what 148 says specifically. It says for drying of construction materials. Drying construction material. Yep. Um, but the, let's go back. Let's talk a little bit in case people don't know. So direct versus indirect. Direct being, it's essentially a, a flame with a fan behind it. Yeah, pretty much and, the stuff you see at um, Gillette Stadium. If you watch the Pats game, now they'll have them out. They have those big yep. tubular ones, you know. Yep. Or, or what, you know, if you buy the little ones at the box store, um, they'll have a little belly tank. And, um, yep. yeah, that's exactly it. It's it's it. <laughs> It's all one appliance, and as it heats that chamber, it pushes everything out through it. Yep, it's a very primitive. Here's flame, here's fire, right? <laughs> Whereas indirect is it's the it's within a chamber, and then the cool air passes over the chamber, never touching a flame. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. The um, heating heating takes place in one area. And then the movement of the warmth, you know, we'll just say warm air, like a, a home heating furnace, you know, yep. the, the, the oil gun burns over here, but it's the heat transfer that, and that gets picked up and then circulated out. So that, that's what gives you that indirect um, composure to it. Yeah. So much less of an, um, well, let, yeah much maybe not but less of an exposure to uh carbon monoxide with the indirect than the direct well absolutely because inherently a lot of those um the indirects the way they're from the burning chamber the way they're fluted out the way that you know the 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 chimneyed out 
you know, yep. and then it, it's intentionally like separated and directed to go to a different location. That's, that's a good segue. So um, let's talk a little bit about makeup air, fresh air, probably less of an issue in, on a construction site because you're probably going to be able to get air from a lot of places, especially if your building isn't 100% closed in. But exhaust, do you have any thoughts around exhaust? So, okay, let's say we're talking a trailer mount um, indirect heater where we've done all, you know, we've arranged it in such a fashion that the duct is coming out and it's going into the building and everything's fine, but yet the exhaust is on the back side of that machine. Well, we want to be mindful of where that's going. Is there a school, a house, <laughs> you know, is there a window open? you know, on a second floor or something, you know what I mean? Or, or some avenue that it could get drawn in through maybe some intake air of another building, you know, what we have in our urban settings, you know? So, yeah, we want to be mindful of something like that. Yep. Yeah, I bumped into one of those over in the Fenway area, over like the Symphony area. Same thing, they had a heater. It was a little alley between buildings, and it was exhausting. And I said to the guy, I'm like, the window's less than 10 feet away from where you're exhausted. I'm like, you can't what are you doing? You know, you can't. And in fairness, he wasn't thinking about that. Right. But that's the stuff we have to think about, right? Where is exactly. the great point? I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I physically saw last year with my own two eyes. Well, uh, you know, I mean, you've known me long enough, Joe, you know, like when, six years ago when we were looking at 241, we were focused on, okay, we have a problem on our sites. We got to get people going in the right direction. Now you've seen how I've expanded beyond that in the neighbor's you know what I mean? Because now, and, and that's just one of those areas right there. But, you know, <laughs> say, for example, to, to, to clarify, okay, I have my site. Well, I have my deliveries and I'm taking up this and that's my fire access. And I know that I'm going to make it available and all that. But yeah, but what did you do to the building next to you? How did you handcuff us? Because you, you had that drop or whatever that delivery was put there. Mm -hmm. How did it impact that? So that that's where I was going with that. Is no. again, let's forget our little bubble, you know, and let's yep. look three sixty. No, it's great. Um, and then there's going to be basic things like just clearances. You've got an open flame. Let's make sure we're not piling trash next to the thing, um, and not even that egregious. Like let's make sure that there's a good ten, fifteen feet around the piece of equipment that's clear, free from combustibles. Um, the Back biggest, in. yeah, the unfortunate part, I mean, and this is where <laughs> folks have to not pay attention. Everybody's paying attention, but they have to be mindful of is, you know, we have some stuff in print that says, okay, keep your fuel 50 feet from a building. Keep your combustibles 25, 50 feet. I mean, we know that's not always practical um, in some of our settings. So mm -hmm. that would be a couple of things. One is you got to rethink what you're going to use for a heater. So you yep. can, you know, stay compliant or you figure out, you know, what you can do to manage, um, to get some type of equivalency to, you know, to stay in that compliant range. You know, what can yep. you do to protect it? Maybe that's something, you know, I don't want to get into the sprinkler thing, but maybe that's something, you know, folks have to start thinking a little bit differently outside the box on. You know, and again, that goes kind of to my original opening with proving the hardship. You know, and that's where you, you know, you make, you always let your, your AHJs and, and this, you know, 
for, for this context, we're going to talk about your fire folks. Always let your fire folks know. Be up front with them. Um, they'll work with you. You know, they might not understand it, so you might take you a little bit longer to, to have to educate the fire folks sometimes and, and explain it out to them. But in just, you know, you let them know, hey, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm stuck. This is what I got to do. And you should be able to get it resolved. Okay. Um, and then this was an interesting one because when I mentioned this, you brought up a, a something that I had would never have thought of. But um, <laughs> let's stay with my original intent here before we dive into your thoughts on it. <laughs> um, but when you're ducting, you know, you, you do the good job, you get the heater outside but then you're running ductwork into the building and then maybe up the side of the building or up a stair shaft or an elevator shaft or something like that to heat all the floors um you want to make sure that if you have to wrap the building with tarps or you have some other temporary type enclosures you want to make sure that you have fire-rated tarps you know it's not you don't have this pipe that's heating up against combustibles or near flammables and all that kind of stuff so that's another big one so not only clearance around the machine what about things it's passing through and are there combustibles up against it are people you know don't be drying your jackets on top of the the heater like just give it the space give it the clearance and that goes for you know all parts of it but now when i said that what was your response around fire rated tarps? Well, we had this discussion the other day. Yeah. So, so I mean, of course, it's, you know, I get on my little soapboxes. So, I, I don't want to say I'm split in the middle, but there's, you know, you look at it through different lenses. So, one side of me, I agree wholeheartedly. If wrapping a building to keep your conditioned air, whether you're cooling it or you're heating it, whatever you want to maintain that you want to keep that, you know, in that envelope because you're paying for it. Um, it makes total sense to have that wrap be of a some level of fire retardancy. So it doesn't just easily ignite and, and look like, um, geez, what was the, uh, the, the Hindenburg, you know, something like that, you know, just yep. burn up like that changing gears and as we were talking you know now i put my fire hat on and i look at it well now i see a rat building and a fiery retardant product that is now made it windowless what if there is a fire you know it's probably good if there's a fire on the outside it would probably slow it down if not stop it completely from getting inside but what if there is something that's going on inside how do you know how does it like some of the things that we look for in the fire service for natural ventilations through windows, you know, through uh, roof ridges. Now, if we have something completely sealed up and it's something that, it, you know, it, have we, are we working inside the oven now? You know yeah. what I mean? Where that, and how do you get water on it from the outside? Right. Yeah. Right. How do we, no. you know, how do, if, if we have a, a call for, you know, God forbid there's people trapped on the third floor. How do we identify the third floor? You know, how do we know there's even a building there? How do we know there's openings there? You know, it's, yeah. what's on the other side? Is there wooden planks and they loaded with a lot of weight of bricks? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, yeah. we, there's just a, a lot. But to, to keep it in 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 check a little bit, you know, without going too far uh, for, for that, I fire rated 
things. You know, I, I've said that before with, you know, the presentations on, you know, when the folks get to the 11th hour and they're doing those fit outs and let's say you're in those whatever commercial building, you're putting the rug, the rugs or the floors down. The next thing people are just throwing poly on top to protect it. Well, there's some level of, you know, we call that solid gasoline in our industry, you know, on, on mm-hmm. the fire side of it, the, the fire industry side of it. You know, that would be the same thing. You know, if you wrap a whole building with um, blue, uh, the blue tops, you know, the, yep. or, or a canvas or something. Well, all right. Yeah, we're going to have some issues there. So it absolutely makes sense to have some fire retardancy to it. But it's yep. also, you know, now that folks, hopefully that gets their eyes and ears, you know, thinking a little bit, you know, get their minds open a little bit and start thinking what's on the other side. And, um, you know, in managing, keeping not letting that fire triangle come together, keeping the heat sources away from the fuel sources, you know, from the combustibles and what have you. Yeah, no, and I just thought it was an interesting kind of thought exercise. So I, yeah. I liked it when you said it. I was like, huh, you know, you reflexively just say, no, make everything fire rated. But then I thought it was a, a fun uh, mental exercise to think well, through like, oh, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't just reflexively agree to that. You know, maybe we should think about whether that's the, the best thing but like i t- like i mentioned to you too um so we're in the we're ahead of the curve with 241 we're, we're two cycles ahead of what we currently use so we've been pushed back so we're not going to have our next document until 2027 which should line up as we progress with you know a couple of building codes and a couple of new nfpa ones you know everything should line up in a in a couple of cycles but with that um, the, when I was telling you the other day, I, I have a placeholder when we go into session. I want to just float that out there to the committee just to see if, hey, has anybody else thought of this? You know, mm-hmm. what, what do you think? Oh, geez. Yeah, no, I never thought of that. And just see what kind of discussion it brings back, you know, among because we're, we're, we're very well diversified. So that mm-hmm. we'll have a good group. Hopefully we have a good discussion. But yeah, it, it does. It makes you, it, you know, things that make you go, hmm. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we are now uh, bumping up on an hour when we Sorry. said we were going to talk for 10 to 15 minutes. I know. Uh, um, it looks like we covered everything. I'm, I'm going over the, that your latest list. I mean, yeah, no, no, we we did it. Yeah, uh, no, I'm happy with it. And uh, yeah, no, thank you. As always. Yeah. And uh, if there's something else you think of, let me know and I can always add it to the show notes or whatever. And, uh, yeah, no, this was great. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me on the uh, Mass Construction Show. It's you always a it. pleasure. I love being able to participate. And, you know, it's yeah, good no, for me, too. It's so helpful for us to have people on the AHJ side of things come in and talk with us. So it's awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right.